I wonder how many of you have lost track of your days throughout the week. Can't remember what day it is. Is it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? It just doesn't feel the same, right? Well, I can assure you, today is Sunday. But it's not just any Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday, which is like any other day, except for it's unlike any other day in the life of our Lord in his ministry. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he would perform great signs and wonders and miracles, but again and again, he would tell the people, don't tell anyone about this, because he knew it was not yet his time. But on this day in history, it was like a red carpet was rolled out for the Lord, and Jesus was the guest of honor. This was a day like no other. This day also marks the beginning of the end for Jesus. This was the first day of the final week in the life of our Lord. It was on Friday of this week that our Lord was hung on a cross. On Friday evening, he was placed in a tomb and all day Saturday in a tomb. But on Sunday morning, he arose from the dead because death could not hold him. A day like no other. I'd like to read to you about this day, this Palm Sunday, and what transpired out of Mark's Gospel, chapter 11 and verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, you could turn there. Mark 11 and verse 1 is where we begin. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has set. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! in the highest. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Just earlier that week, our Lord Jesus had declared, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So it's no coincidence that right here and now, the crowds would cry out, Hosanna! Because Hosanna literally means save now. And Jesus knew that's exactly what he had come to do. He had come to save, to seek and to find that which was lost. I want you to close your eyes for a moment if you can. I know you've got to keep your eyes on your kids. But if you can, take a moment. Just still your own souls. And I want you to, in your imagination, visualize that day, those many, many years ago. This was like the biggest holiday in the Jewish calendar. This was like Christmas at Rockefeller Center as the tree is risen and it's going to be lit. This was like a big deal in their calendar. 
And people came from all over the known world to celebrate the feast of the Passover at Jerusalem. And they would crowd the streets and there were businesses that would line the streets and people gathering around and talking all excited about all of the festivities. But if you've ever traveled in those countries, you'll know that often those businesses are actually connected to the homes. When we've been in uh, China or Kazakhstan or in Africa or in Central American countries, it's not unusual for those businesses to actually be attached to the home. Maybe a front room or a porch on the front of the house. Or maybe they just took a couple of poles and put a tarp over the top of it. And they would have their business there. And people would sit out there and they would sell the goods ready for these festivities. And many of them would gather under the palm trees that lined the roads, trying to get some shade from the hot sun. And suddenly, there was this unexpected, unannounced parade coming down the road. In the middle of it was this man sitting on a donkey. My granddaughter read this amazing story about a donkey this week. I'd encourage you, if you could, to go online and find that. It was just a tremendous job she did in a British accent. But this was a lot different than that. This was not a wonky donkey. This was a donkey that had been set aside for our Lord. And they came marching into town, and the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, God save us now. And that's exactly what he came to do. I thought about this parade throughout this week. And I wondered, if you were there in that time, would you have joined the parade? And what would you have laid down before the Lord? We know that everyone worships something or someone. And worship by its very essence implies something costly. Something extravagant. True worship is about more than just a singing, as we did this morning. It involves our whole lives, not just our words. And this crowd, in that parade that day, offered their worship in word and in deed. And that's what we've been called to do. We've been called to lay down our lives before the Lord. If Jesus came riding down your road, much like the Warsaw teachers did this last week or so, making a whole caravan of cars, beeping the horns, if Jesus came walking down your street, riding a donkey, what would you lay before him? And before you think about what you would lay before him, I'm wondering, are there things that hinder you in your extravagant wholehearted worship of the Lord. I thought about a few things that might inhibit us. We might not want to admit it, but I think sometimes pride can get in our way. We, we can sometimes excuse pride and say, well, it's just a matter of temperament or personality. That's just not me. That's just not how I do it. But I think sometimes what we call personality is actually pride. And I'm wondering, are you willing to lay it down? I know not all of you know me, but I married into a, uh, a British family that is very, oh, they're very proper. Uh, they do everything just so. 
I can remember the first time I went to eat at uh, my current wife's family's home for dinner. And to my shock, <clears throat> they had a butter knife. And maybe that seems like nothing to you. But in my house growing up, you were lucky if you had a knife. You were lucky if you had a fork. But these people had a butter knife that traveled with the butter dish everywhere. And you would take a pat of butter and you would put it not on your potatoes or on your bread. You would put it on your plate so that your food didn't contaminate the knife and contam contaminate the butter. Think about it. A butter knife. But that's kind of what I was introduced to in this proper British family. And our first meal, I can still remember, it was roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. And my wife had told me about it ahead of time, and I'm expecting pudding. Like, you know, like I liked butterscotch pudding. But instead, there was this pile of, I don't know, fried dough covered with gravy that was dumped in my plate. This proper British family. Um, not only were they proper, but they were reserved. Uh, my father-in-law, uh, David Edwards, who was the uh, president of Elam, Fellowship, or Elam Bible Institute, uh, he, he was an amazing man. He was probably one of the best preachers I have ever heard in my whole life. He said more than most people could hear because they got so caught up in his accent, they didn't really listen to what he said. But I would watch him while he would preach, but I would also watch him while he worshiped. And he did that so properly. I mean, here I am. I'm swaying and moving to the music and tapping my feet. My father-in-law would stand there straight and stiff. And when things really got going and it was like all out worship, he would maybe raise his hands in worship, but he always did it very properly. It's like hand raised, parallel with the ground, perpendicular, straight. That was it. He was very proper, but I can still remember on one occasion in chapel at Elam, our school was uh, very short of a large amount of money that was needed for a mortgage payment. And Brother Carlton Spencer had called us all together to pray because we needed that amount of money that day and we didn't have it. And I can remember us being in prayer and all of a sudden the comptroller of Elam came walking into chapel and whispered something to Brother Spencer who then, worshiped, uh, who then whispered it rather to my father-in-law and to Paul Johansson. And then he stood before the microphone and called all of us to our feet and said, we need to give praise to God right now because in the mail today was a check for the very amount that we needed. And I can still remember Carlton Spencer and my father-in-law, this reserved proper Britishman, Welshman, and Paul Johansson holding hands and dancing a jig in front of everybody. You see, regardless of what your personality is, what your temperament is, worship demands a response that's wholehearted. And we can't allow pride to get in our way. I'll tell you somebody who wasn't reserved. His name is Roberto Benini. Maybe you've heard of him. He received an Oscar in 1998 for his best acting in 
the film Life is Beautiful. And when they called Roberto's name, he jumped to his feet, he raised both hands, and literally climbed over tables and chairs to get to the platform. And when he got to the platform, he hugged Sophia Loren so hard that she was actually struggling. And then he took the microphone in, half English, half Italian. He was so excited. He talked about this being a moment of colossal joy, and he wanted to kiss everybody and die in this ocean of generosity. Roberto Benigni was the same guy who was afforded an audience with the Pope. And when he met the Pope, he literally ran up to him and gave him a bear hug and kept calling him Babo Babo, which meant Daddy. To which the Pope replied, you're very Italian, aren't you? Now, that same evening in 1998 at the Oscars, there was another man who got an Oscar for a different thing. I don't even remember his name. But I can remember him standing there very proper, very reserved. And when he took the microphone, he said, outwardly, I am calm and collected. But inwardly, I am Roberto Benigni. You see, both expect expressed their worship, both expressed their gratitude, their appreciation, but they did it in quite different ways. You see, real worship demands something of us. It's going to cost us. As a youth leader growing up, I could watch different young guys, especially in my youth group, and I could tell by the way they worshiped how their dads worshiped. If their dads were all out for worship, they would be all out for worship. If their dads just stood there, and even if their lips moved, you couldn't see or hear anything, then their sons most often followed their pattern. Worship, real wholehearted worship, demands are everything. Would you be willing to lay down your pride before the Lord and worship Jesus wholeheartedly as he deserves? Um, before my dad became a Christian. He was the lead singer and the lead guitar player for a country western band. And playing in the bars, as he did, he had to learn to sing very, very loudly above the talk of the people in the bars, the pool balls striking each other, even fights. He had to learn to sing loudly. And he developed in every one of us kids, whether we liked it or not, an ability and willingness to sing loudly. And I can remember when my dad got saved and started going to church, he brought that same fervor to the singing in church. So much so that people would turn and stare at him. He was singing so loudly. But he had this philosophy. When he was in the world, he gave his all for those crowds. And now that he was a Christian, he was going to give his all for Jesus. And my question to you this morning is, are you giving your all to Jesus? Are you wholehearted in your worship before him? If pride is standing in your way of worship, would you be willing to lay that down today? Maybe for you, it's not pride, it's fear. When I think about fear, I think about probably the greatest example of someone who had an opportunity to give their worship, to give their praise, to give their testimony, because that's what worship really is. It's our testimony about Jesus. This man was given that opportunity and he denied the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus was put on trial. And the scripture says that Peter stood close by at the fire. And a young servant girl, 
We're not talking about somebody major in their social circles. A servant girl said, wait, weren't you one of those people with the Nazarene? What an opportunity for Peter to have said, absolutely, and let me tell you about him. I've watched this man heal the deaf, give voice to the mute tongue. I've watched this man raise people from the dead and speak to a storm on the sea and it would immediately become calm. Let me tell you about this man. But no, Peter couldn't do it. He became afraid. And he denied the Lord. I know I've done that in my life. Times when I first came to know the Lord in, in school, people would ask me about him. And I would not just deny him, I would mock him so that I could fit in with some others. In this season in which the virus is hitting our world, I confess, I have struggled with some of my dear friends who have made comments about conspiracies, about how their church sanctuary is the cleanest place on the earth. I had one dear man who I love and honor in the Lord say, in the name of Jesus, I declare that the coronavirus is all done. And yet, in one week, in New York State, over 400 died from the coronavirus. And there's a part of me that wants to, in the face of my non-Christian friends, putting that in front of me, saying, what do you have to say to that? There's a part of me that wants to say, okay, that's not me. Which, in some ways, it's not me. But I don't want to deny my faith in the Lord or his ability to heal in the midst of even this pandemic. Sometimes it's intimidating to give our testimony of the Lord. But my question to you this morning is, on this Palm Sunday, if Jesus came riding down your street on a donkey, would you join the parade? And would you lay down your pride and your fear? Or maybe for you it's not those. Maybe it's doubts. Maybe you have genuine doubts. I think about an old novel called The Flight of Peter Fromm. Peter Fromm was a young man from the Midwest who had become a a Christian who wanted to serve God in ministry. And so he decided to go to seminary and he picked a school, a Chicago Divinity School, which was known as being extremely liberal. They had come to the place where they denied the resurrection of the Lord, the inspiration of scripture and miracles. And yet Peter Fromm chose to go to that school hoping that his faith would change the atmosphere of the school. But as you read the story, days go by, and slowly, little by little, Peter Fromm's faith is eroded. And instead of him affecting the school, the school began to affect him. He began to wonder about what he could believe in anymore until finally, on an Easter Sunday, he stood in a pulpit in Chicago wanting and trying to preach on the resurrection of Jesus, but it was something he didn't even believe in anymore. And the struggle, the internal struggle between what he didn't believe and what he was expected to say became so great that Peter Fromm had a nervous breakdown and collapsed to the floor right there in the pulpit and was carried out. Maybe for you it's not 
the struggles of doubts that make you question God in terms of you believe in God, you believe he's real. But maybe especially in this season where we're being sheltered in our homes and you're lonely. Maybe for you, you are afraid. Maybe every ache and pain you're wondering about. Maybe you've lost your job or you've had your hours cut so much that you're wondering how you're going to take care of your financial needs. Has doubt in God's goodness begun to creep in for you? My question is, if Jesus came riding down the street right now, would you be willing to lay your struggles and your doubts before the Lord and say, I don't understand it, but I do know this one thing. You are good. You're able. You're faithful. Maybe for you, you're wondering, doesn't he care? Why doesn't he do anything? And I understand. I really do. But can we agree that in the midst of this time, on this Palm Sunday, he truly is worthy? Maybe for you it's other things that you have to lay down. Maybe it's your preoccupation with possessions. Maybe for you it's besetting sins. Things that you know you need to lay before the Lord and just leave it there and say, Jesus, I want to be free. Maybe it's a woundedness. Maybe somebody has said something, done something, and you've become so hurt inside that it's hard for you to come before the Lord. Are you willing to lay that before him as well? Maybe for you it's sadness. I know at this season of life, as we're watching my mother-in-law's life slowly wean away. Maybe for you it's sadness and grief. Maybe it's a burden that you're carrying for your family. Whatever it is, are you willing to lay it before the Lord on this Palm Sunday? At heart, worship is our testimony about God. So we should do it at church when we gather together. And I can't wait when we can, in fact, gather together corporately and sing our worship together, riding on the rhythms that each one brings as their log in the fire. I can't wait for that. We should worship God when we come together. But we should also worship God when we're at home with our kids. We should worship God in our hearts at least, in our workplace, so that all that we do whether in word or in deed, we do it all to the glory of God our Father. Maybe today it would be a good day for you to arrange a family parade right in your home. Maybe you would allow your kids to bring their robes down or bring down some towels and lay it and say, we're going to make a way for God to come into our home today. Are you willing, though, to lay your life down in worship of this great God and King Jesus. The psalmist puts it this way, and this is a great Palm Sunday psalm, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. During the season of sequestering, 
of sheltering in our homes, being very careful to keep distance so that we can curb the spread of this virus. During the season, can we allow Jesus to come into our homes and be the Lord of all? David the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Even in the midst of all of this, hasn't he really been good to you? I was thinking just this week about the different people who contact me and check up on me, people who contact me or my wife about how we're doing with this situation with my mother-in-law, people who have written just to let us know they're praying for him. I awakened this morning with somebody leaving me an actual voice memo, which was their prayer for my wife and I during this season. And I thank you guys all for that. And I know that others have done the same for you. You have food, you have shelter. God truly has been good for you. So can we close our time and just let me pray for you, pray a blessing over you? Would you close your eyes right now? Father, on this Palm Sunday, I thank you with all of my heart for Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, for most of my life, I thought you were schizophrenic at best. In the Old Testament, you were an angry God who wanted to smite everybody. But in the New Testament, you suddenly became loving, so I guess you had a personality shift. Lord, I've come to realize from the very beginning, it was you who sought out Adam in the garden. And you've been seeking us. You've been pursuing us from the very beginning. And you're not angry with us. You're sad about the way in which sin in this fallen world has affected us. But you love us because your word says God so loved us that he gave his only son. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to die for us. You gave your life for us that we would know not only forgiveness of sins and cleansing, but we would know relationship with our good, good Father. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell in us, reminding us daily of these truths that we could have this experience, this encounter with the living God. Thank you for your goodness to us. And on this Palm Sunday, we offer you our praise, our worship, and our lives. In the name of Christ, I pray it. Amen. God richly bless you.